On this episode of Movie Bites, we take a look at the 1955 canine classic, Lady and the Tramp. Hello, and welcome to Movie Bites, the podcast where three friends are watching every animated Disney movie in chronological order. We will share some facts about the movie and our history with the movie, and uh, after that we'll have a very freeform discussion about this movie. Today, I am joined for the first time ever on video by my loyal co-hosts, Jeffrey Perez and David Jones. How are you guys doing? Doing good, doing good. It's kind of kind of weird being on video for this, but I like yeah, it. I want you all to see my face. This is what I look like when I wake up in the morning. David has glowing eyes all the time, mm-hmm. so that's cool. Uh, hopefully, we don't pick our noses because normally we're just used to audio only versions of recording. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I figured uh, having these on YouTube. I don't know how many people actually listen to podcasts on YouTube, but I figured it's another way to get these out there. Uh, kind of have a fun visual thing with, with mm-hmm. backgrounds and all that good stuff. We are kind of entering the air, era here in 2020 of the, I don't know, the video chat, the webcam era, I guess, even though this stuff's been around forever, but now everybody's using it, but we've been mm-hmm. on Skype we're OG Skype users. We've been we've been making podcasts on Skype since I don't know what year did you guys start doing podcasts on Skype. Twenty fifteen for me. I think twenty fifteen. Unless Dave was doing it before. No. Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. Wasn't using friends. video, but yeah, I was. I started doing it twenty fifth. Twenty fifteen. I think. Yeah, it was like September ish. Twenty fifteen. Was it? Or was it? Sure, was that or was it early 2014? I don't remember. It was after Rare Replay. I mean, if we're talking about the log cast, that was after Rare Replay. Was it? I thought it was before. Okay, my bad. (laughs) This is all good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about something that probably doesn't interest any of the audience (laughs) at all. So there might be some over. I was on this super niche podcast that like no one listened to (laughs) about a single video game developer. You know. (laughs) That was awesome. I don't care. Yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> yeah, well, well, three of us were on that. That's how we, we were. We were. <laughs> we, we go way back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you didn't know, me and Jeff started a Disney video game podcast called Mouse Bites. And then we, uh, we kind of fizzled out from that, got a little burnt out. And so now we're doing Movie Bites, where we get to watch movies instead of trying to play through ridiculously mm-hmm. difficult video games. So... Yeah. yeah, we actually, we actually yeah, did something mildly mainstream. Aren't you proud of us? And now <laughs> yeah. we're on video. <laughs> now we're on video for the whole world to see. Yeah. Uh, today's video we are reviewing is Lady and the Tramp. Came out in 1955. Uh, it's going to be a good one. Uh, I'm excited to get into it. So to start us off, I'm going to have my buddy Jeff here. He's going to give us some facts and tidbits, some information, some datas, some numbers about Lady and the Tramp. So, Jeff, take it away. Alrighty. So, as Clay mentioned, it came out in 1955, Lady and and the Tramp, the animated version, that is. Um, It was directed by Clyde, oh man, Geronomi, Wilfred Jackson, and Hamilton Lusk. Uh, Produced by Walt Disney, uh, had four story writers, uh, Erdman Penner, Joe Rinaldi, Ralph Wright, and Don DeGrati. 
Um, based on a book by Ward Green called Happy Dan the Cynical Dog. Uh, just learned that. Um, starring various voice talents of the time, including singer Peggy Lee, who is pretty well known, um, and Barbara Luddy and Larry Roberts as the leads, I believe. Uh, the music was done by Oliver Wallace. and I think uh, this was his last movie, actually. Oliver yeah. Wallace. Oh, I didn't. Know I don't that. know if he died or if he just stopped just making them. Retired. Okay. Yeah. But. Um. Interesting. It was released on June twenty second of nineteen fifty five, which means it was basically a month before Disneyland opened, which I just found to be interesting. Uh, the runtime is seventy six minutes, which is pretty good, pretty average for a for a feature length film, um, of the animated variety. Um. <clears throat> The budget was $4 million, and the current box office is $187 million, though I don't have the data on what it took in in its initial run. Um, yeah. One interesting tidbit, and I don't know if we'll elaborate on this later or not, but is that it was the first animated uh, motion picture done in CinemaScope, which is ultra-wide, like 2.35 to 1 ratio. So that's pretty cool. Yes. And they, they use it very well, in my opinion. We'll maybe discuss that as we go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had not. I had jotted it down to, to be discussed. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, a couple things I, I wanted to hit on. Uh, yeah, we got to figure out a better box office thing because um, I was watching a review on this yesterday. This movie and uh, mm-hmm. somebody mentioned how much it made in its initial run. So that information's out there. I think we just got to start looking for it. Uh, Wikipedia doesn't yeah. really provide it, but um, I think that'd be a little more interesting than. A movie that you know comes back to the theater mm-hmm. four or five times in its life. Yeah, um, in in the Wikipedia article I just scrolled down, uh, <laughs> it does say that there's an estimated six point five million take in its initial. Uh, okay, run. I, 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 I feel, feel like the seven. the box office gets easier to track once you get past like the getting more into the seventies. Mm-hmm. Like these older films, just they didn't track this information nearly as well, so it's not as easy, but mm-hmm. easy, easily attainable. Yeah. Yeah, and and then like I said, they just kept putting this thing back out in the theater, mm-hmm. and I think they keep adding to that on that that number that mm-hmm. Jeff was reading. So uh, it's a little mm-hmm. different. Not not a lot of movies get brought back four or five times to the theaters throughout their their time. Right. But um, yeah, and then uh, as far as what was her name, Peg, Peggy Lee, mm-hmm, Is that the it? singer. Yeah, yeah. She uh, I was reading up on her, and it sounds like a lot of people think that she was kind of one of the first uh where they like pulled a really big name and mm-hmm. kind of did the whole celebrity voice actor kind of thing and she i think she wrote a lot of the music for this movie uh as well as did voicing for it and so um yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff with her i think she ended up suing disney when the when they put it out on vhs because she technically owned the rights to uh, I think that the wording was maybe transcripts yeah. of the music, and she considered you know VHS to be a transcript of that, and so hmm. uh, yeah, she ended up winning and made some millions of dollars. So yeah, uh, the but, year before she died. <laughs> oh, was it? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So hey, I mean, leave something to your kids, I guess. I'm sure she was already rich because she was <laughs> well known and all that stuff. But hey. We, do what you gotta do you know right oh nope it was sorry 10 years before she died she had a little bit of time to uh, <laughs> okay enjoy all right My bad. that's better <laughs> i can math <laughs> one plus nine i actually just misread 2002 as 92 because i'm dumb 
All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I I prefer to see 92 than 2002. But that's also I crazy can. that she lived till 2002 because you just think of her as this old lady that, or, you know, this old singer that we would have never had in our lifetime. But that's, I mean, for us, that's half our life for the three of Dude, us. Dude, I know, right? It's pretty crazy. And I was looking at different character voice actors from this movie on IMDb and a lot mm-hmm. of them made it like into the 2000s, which I thought was pretty crazy. Um, but... Anywho, let's move on to our history with this movie. We'll start off with David, then Jeff can go, and then I'll go, and then we'll uh, we'll get into our in-depth movie discussion. David, take it away. All right, so I believe this is one of the Disney films I did not watch as a kid. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I'm not sure when I first watched this movie. Pro- my guess is probably sometime in my 20s when I started to get more interested in you know seeing the ones that I had missed as a kid. Um, so I might, like, I feel like I'd seen, like, the really famous scenes on probably, like, the Disney Channel and whatnot. Like, I'd, I'd seen the spaghetti scene mm-hmm. and yeah. and whatnot. And I had a familiar, familiar, familiarity with the concept and characters, but I believe the time that I first watched this was probably early to mid-twenties. Um, definitely had different appreciations for different things watching it at that age. Um, but yeah, that's kind of really my, my history with it. Even it's never really been one of my favorites. So I think I only watched it a couple times as an adult and, uh, yeah, we watched it again this weekend. Interesting. I'm, I'm very interested to kind of talk through this with you and kind of hear mm-hmm. your perspective, having only seen it as an adult. Um, for me, mm-hmm. I watched it a lot as a kid. It was in our regular mm-hmm. rotation. Um, really enjoyed it. I don't have any like significant moments or like stories with it. It was just one that we watched a lot. Um, I know that we liked it enough. And uh, so like the first time I went to Disney world, I was 12 and I had a two year old sister and we bought her a lady like stuffed dog. That was probably like two feet tall. It's pretty cool. Um, But Mm -hmm. it was like, that was how significant it was to our family that we all loved it. And even our two year old little sister loved it. So, um, there's, I mean, there's a little bit of history there, but yeah, it's, it's kind of one of my, my, my Disney life movies. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, I, I grew up with this. Uh, I remember watching this when I was a kid, had the VHS, um, remember, you know, the songs even better thanks to those classic, uh, VHS sing-alongs. And so, um, so very familiar with them for that reason. Uh, wasn't my favorite movie of the era and so i don't think i watched it as much as some of the other ones from the era but uh definitely very familiar with it uh there were a few parts that i kind of didn't remember or maybe uh hadn't really seen since i became an adult or whatever and we'll we'll talk through some of those things mm-hmm. but um so yeah so it, I, it's probably been a while since i've seen it uh, i watched the uh, the live action remake they put out on disney plus when they uh, launched the service and uh so that kind of brought ba- brought back some mm-hmm. of the memories of, of of the original obviously um so yeah pretty familiar with it know it pretty well the, the source material and stuff to it so mm-hmm. uh pretty pretty but i wasn't bored i guess watching through it so it wasn't like i felt like i'd burnt myself on it burnt mm-hmm. myself out on it so um yeah that that's basically it nothing super interesting just uh i know it i like it and grew up with it so Cool. All right. So we'll go ahead and jump in, uh, spend most of our time here. Basically now, uh, we've changed up 
uh, our formula for the show, instead of going kind of scene by scene, we are doing more of a free flow, free form uh, discussion where we all sit down, watch the movie a couple days before, and then we come together, we take notes, uh, be it mentally or on paper or typed out, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. we just kind of hit through it. So it might be jump around a little bit, might get a little random. Mm-hmm. I try to kind of take notes in chronological order. I know Jeff does, and so we'll we'll just kind of we'll discuss things, we'll talk it through, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll call it a day. So uh, let me go ahead and hit play on the movie here, and we will get started. <laughs> All right, so to start us off, Lady and the Tramp starts off with a snowy Christmas town intro, which I, I noted as being really beautiful and well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, sets the scene very nicely, um, kind of puts you at a certain time frame. And in fact, uh, we find out later that it kind of ends on, at the same time of the year with the Christmas thing. Mm-hmm. Um, not a Christmas movie, but starts out with the Christmas thing. Yeah. Um, Kick. Do we want to talk about the first thing that's noticeably different? You know what I'm talking about? Than any other Disney movie prior to this? No no opening book shot? Mm, nope, it's the first one uh, animated and displayed in uh, not in 4-3 aspect ratio. So this is the first... Uh, I can't remember the exact ratio. The first that's filmed in more of a traditional cinematic uh, aspect ratio. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. mean that thing that Jeff was talking about earlier when we were going through <laughs> facts and info oh. about the movie? Yeah. Sorry, I spaced out. It's earlier. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sure. Let's, yeah, it is. We can uh, we can talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was a thing, and I watched this in four by three because I put my VHS on, not realizing what I was missing out on. So right. Yeah. This is definitely one of the ones you don't want to watch yeah. on VHS. Did you Did you at least kind of go back and skim through it in widescreen? Because it's it's incredible. I did look up online just to kind of see a comparison okay. between the two. Um, and saw, yeah, saw what I was missing out on, kind of regretted not having it on Disney Plus, which is funny because last episode on Peter Pan, I was too lazy to set up my VHS stuff. So I just, um, just sat down and and Disney Plus it. And then (laughs) I finally was like, all right, I need to get my, cause I have a, (laughs) I have an old JC Penny RGB monitor that I, I found and I, Mm -hmm. and I play it on there. And then I also play it on my big screen at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I can kind of compare, uh, cause I'm a nerd in that way, I guess. Um, yeah, but then I got done with it and come to find out that, uh, that's not really the true aspect ratio but that being said there is this tidbit that i found out um they had actually animated a good chunk of the movie in the original aspect ratio four by three and then walt disney got wind of this thing called cinemascope and was like i want to do that i want that and the guys were like uh but we've already done half of this and he was like well just add it on and so they literally had Mm -hmm. to go back and they had to like add more on the sides Holy to cow. it, yeah. Damn. So, so they, they didn't just re it, they didn't just rephotograph it. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. wondering if they rephotographed it, but because well, like all the cells would have still been there unless they'd washed them already. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, yeah. I don't know if they 
re-photographed it or if they just added it somehow digitally. I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, but all I know is... It wouldn't have been digitally. Well, not <laughs> digital, but... But, yeah. I mean, I don't know what they... I, I really don't know how they could have done that without it looking super obvious. I wonder if they had it, hadn't actually, like, taken, like, the photos, but they had... They had just animated the, the frame. Right. And so they yeah. were able to just add to the frames and then go in. Yeah. And, so I'm not exactly right. sure where in the process they were with it, but it sounds like they had to... Though. Yeah, still change a lot yeah. to, to make it happen. Because I imagine probably a good deal of the shots, though, just because the, the map paintings for the background would have been bigger than 4.3. Mm-hmm. So a lot, a lot of cases, they might have just had to reframe the shot to include more of the background, mm-hmm. which... And hopefully you know, that's what it was, because yeah. <laughs> And another reason I noticed it before I had watched the video that was talking about it was I, I was looking up background shots for our, our video here. And uh, all of the background shots were in, like in these like, you know, weird ratios where they were longer and skinnier. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. kind of strange. And then when <laughs> I saw that, I was like, oh, that's probably why. That makes sense. So, yeah. So is CinemaScope something they continue to use then on out moving forward, or did they sort go sort of? They back? did it on Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, Sleeping but Beauty. Then I don't know that they returned to it after that. They they. I don't um, know if they went back to four by three or if they stayed in like kind of the more. The, they went to four by three for I think, I think the Jungle Book, um, Sword in the Stone, and some of those other ones. Yeah. Are I believe they go back to CinemaScope. Maybe with the Black Cauldron. Maybe with the Fox and the Hound. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think Fox and the Hound is. Okay, so um, like that. Maybe Great Mouse point, Detective. I can't remember. Yeah, some of the later sort of though. Bronze Age films start mm-hmm. to go back to CinemaScope, but they released well, a few back and forth right after White, White Beauty. Screen. Yeah, right. if we're being technical, but yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. CinemaScope, I think, only existed until like '67 or so, and then it was kind of then right. right. Yeah, they go to they just used widescreen. Yeah, right. So there's two other. Outside of CinemaScope, there's two other aspect ratios that are used for film now, and they used one of those. I can't remember the exact ratio. It's the like two, the two forty-four is, something. Right. The one now is two point three five to one. This I think is two point six six to one. Yeah, two point three five. And then they have there's another one that sometimes gets used as like one point eight something. I think. Um, uh, I don't know if it was ever used in a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh wow. Poor Clay. Yeah, Poor but listeners. the one that Avengers is shot in, but it's none of the other like... MCU movies are, and it annoys me. <laughs> crazy i never knew that but yeah Clay was snoring like jim deer in the opening scene when he yes. comes upstairs jim deer um, right yeah real quick before we kind of jump more into it um we mm-hmm. i think we usually kind of talk about the backgrounds behind the opening titles and just quickly uh these ones because they're often painterly and stuff these ones are more like pencil sketches and i found that to be cool especially mm. in the widescreen um don't know if you guys noticed that but yeah yeah that's a good point yeah i didn't think about that pencil sketch mm-hmm. I dig it. Um, but no, like right off the bat with the widescreen and like you said, that opening Christmas Town, like mm-hmm. it is gorgeous. Like the the backgrounds mm-hmm. in this movie are just beautifully right. done. Um, yeah, I would, I would argue that from an artistic standpoint, Be- uh, Lady and the Tramp and Sleeping Beauty are kind of the crown jewels of Disney animation because mm-hmm. they're the first. They use the CinemaScope, and there's the only two that are like the last two to be hand inked. Mm-hmm. So there's like like these two from an artistic frame framing and animation standpoint. I feel like it's hard to really like top what they did because it's so it was such a so hard to do. Not the last to be hand inked, but to be hand copied to the cells. 
rather than Xeroxed. Because they were right. inked up till Little Mermaid. Okay. But, yes, uh, they're... But, yeah, gorgeous. but the Xerox would be like the instead of using the hand inking, right? Because they didn't have no, no, the... No, no, so they would Xerox the pencil to the to the cells, and then they would still hand paint the colors. The ink. Oh, the colors, yeah, but not the outlines. Inking is... Oh, yeah, I guess it is ink and paint. You're right. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. yeah, the inking. The, it was still hand-painted, but <laughs> not hand-inked anymore. Jeffrey's yeah. That's okay. Uh, you guys know more about that stuff than I do, so I'm yeah. kind of deer in headlights. Watch, you need to watch The Reluctant Dragon, sir. Yeah, I do. I <laughs> will have started in on all this. <laughs> I know. I've started like three times, and then I always like frizzle out, but I just need... Now that we've been doing this show, I, I've wanted to do that, and I need to, so... Yeah. Maybe I will we do can so. cover it on here. I don't know. It's not one of the major ones, but it's a, it's a very interesting one. Maybe we could do a bonus episode. Ooh, and you, bonus. Uh, uh, I can just hit record and then walk away, and you, David, can nerd about <laughs> about frames. Let's second. talk about inking. Let's talk about caps and the Little Mermaid and what scene is used. <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah. So uh, this movie, they kind of show the faces of Jim Deere and Darling, but we they don't really. They kind That's of like avoid point. it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. It's kind of like that thing with like. Charlie Brown, where you don't see adults' faces, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, the Muppet Babies with Nanny. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's kind of like that, but like they don't like keep it a mystery. Like you can see their faces. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a lot of reasons as to why they did this. But what do you guys think is their reason for doing this? I mean, my guess is it's twofold. One to keep the focus on the dog, um, mm-hmm. but two, obviously, is just humans are pretty hard to do well and it's a lot cheaper and less research intensive to just kind of do the form rather than the facial animations mm-hmm. and, and expressions do you agree That's with him guess. david yeah those are the two things i would have said too so <laughs> yeah. i feel like they can animate humans like no problem i mean they just did peter pan where there's like a dozen pirates dancing around and singing at the same time like i feel like they've got the human part down so I don't. I don't know if it's that, but well, I well, mean, it, that, it's definitely of... the first one because it's you know they want to be they, they don't want the human they want it to be the dog's world and if they focus on the humans too much it stops becoming the dog's world what they're focusing on. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I feel like dogs look at our faces, but they mm-hmm. probably also see a lot of our knees and feet. Mm-hmm. So whatever. Yeah. I mean, I was even even if they're good at humans, it's still time consuming to to do. You know, I mean, you see like kind of clips of the animators like looking in mirrors and making faces. Like, mm-hmm. you it know, takes time. It takes time, and, and it is a lot. People are a lot more forgiving on facial expressions of say like these dogs have human esque faces with the mm-hmm. eye expression and all that. But like, you're you're gonna forgive an inaccuracy more on a dog than you are a person, so you don't have to pour as much time into that research per se. I mean, I you know don't know for sure, but it seems plausible. Yeah, I agree. Um, one cool thing in kind of the earlier scene when ladies, an adult for the first time, I guess she's only like six months old here, which is interesting. Um, but she chases a rat out of the yard and it's kind of a foreshadow, spoiler alert, but mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about it. Um, so she t- chases a rat out of the yard and I thought that was kind of cool to show it off. Um, mm-hmm. 
towards the beginning to kind of frame the movie. As you said, it opens and closes with Christmas, and <laughs> then it opens and closes with a rat, kind of bookended by oh. Christmas. So I thought that was kind of good writing. Yeah. It's foreboding. A foreboding. I really appreciated the uh, let's let the puppy sleep upstairs on our bed for one night mm-hmm. and then it cuts to you know six months later and yeah. uh, still on the bed and like still dang that's bed. so accurate yeah <laughs> Super relatable. anybody who owns a dog knows how that works like alright just this <laughs> once and then the dog is like nope every time <laughs> I live here now <laughs> one thing I found interesting also in this scene is when she brings in the uh, the newspaper and rips the hole through the headline and Jim Deere makes a comment. He's like, ever since we got this dog, we don't have to read any of those terrible world headlines. And it just felt very 2020. Yeah. Very <laughs> like, how, how bad could their life have been back then? Like, come on. It seemed pretty yeah. uh, They, they, they were a house. bunch of, like, two wealthy white people in the witch house. They were probably upset yeah. about the civil rights movement. It's like, I'm sick of hearing about this Martin Luther King guy. Or actually, no, he wouldn't have been there yet. But this you know is, what I mean. This is like turn of the century, yeah. Turn of the yeah. century, but yeah. <laughs> Can't believe women want to vote. No, yeah, that's probably yeah. what I'm um, thinking about. Yeah, I am curious what Jim Deere does, like, or Jim, because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, obviously they're they're very wealthy. So mm-hmm. yeah, and that that was something I I literally my next point here was that mm-hmm. the the set design inside of that house is freaking nuts. Like their whole house mm-hmm. is like intricately decorated and designed, and mm-hmm. um, like a stained glass window on their the landing of their stairs right oh, and it's not like they just have like a chair and a, and a piece of furniture in the corner there's like stuff on it and I, mm-hmm. I think it's i think it was not necessarily just to prove that they're rich but it was i think it's just more like disney trying to come up with these like intricate set designs that are are really fun to look at and stuff and mm-hmm. um, so i think in in that process this couple ends up becoming kind of well off i would say but Interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Who gives their dog hot coffee and a donut? Dude, yeah, I had to <laughs> comment on that as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that doesn't seem geez. yeah that very good. The they dog. didn't know any better. They were still <laughs> thinking that tobacco was a healthy option. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some scalding hot coffee, dog. Yeah. Here you go. If you need any whiskey later, I'll pour some in your bowl. <laughs> right? Surprised, <laughs> surprised I didn't do shots with her. Right. <laughs> teach, her teach lady to smoke. <laughs> Here, lady, just just breathe. <laughs> oh, the fifties. Um, I, I noted uh, about Jacques and Trusty, who are mm-hmm. uh, two supporting characters. Uh, I just thought how well crafted and clever these these two are. Uh, mm-hmm. You instantly feel like you're good friends with them. Uh, I think they did a great job of choosing breeds. And then creating personalities around those breeds, mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. with the the accents and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but creating these personalities where, um, you know, the old dog has southern accent and it's a little bit slower. But then the little Scottish guy is like high strung and he j- jumps around and gets all feisty and stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I, I honestly like like them more than like maybe the two title characters here. Um but yeah. I don't know. I just I just think they did a great job coming up with with characters. Gave them a little bit of a backstory. They even had their own little character arc with this whole like 
losing your sense of smell thing and all that. And, right. They mm-hmm. have a history. Yeah. Right. And they go back and, and I don't know. I just, I just really like them. I think they were like some of the best parts of this movie for me. Uh, is, is I just enjoyed them and I wish they could have been in it a little bit more maybe, but, mm-hmm. um, but I think they, they were in it for the amount of time you would expect from a supporting mm-hmm. character kind of thing. So, yeah, I love like when we kind of meet jockeys, He's got that bone that he's adding to his collection and he gets super possessive about it and trying to play it off. And the animation of him trying to bury it while he's sitting on it, I thought was just brilliant. So super uh, well done. Super. Yeah. Super awesome. Yeah. I like that. Um, I do uh, kind of moving past that, the introduction of the tramp. I, I liked that they showed him and and they do talk about it later specifically, but that his, he's literally from the other side of the train tracks. Um, and that's kind of an underlying thing here is, you know, literally mm-hmm. the, the divide of the nice rich neighborhood and the, the poor kind of crappy side of town on the other side of the tracks. Um, I thought, that, you know, the interesting commentary and metaphor and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I, di- I guess I didn't think about the train tracks kind of being the divide, but that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's historical accuracy to that. I wonder if there was, uh, if for some reason maybe train tracks did it seems like a stereotype right like that's a very common trope mm-hmm. you know right. the, the, the the rough guy from the other side of the tracks you know you can right. see it in lots of i feel like lots of movies and, and books and stuff but yeah um, yeah who knows i mean economically one side of town is there's always you know quote unquote the nice neighborhood and the the not nice neighborhood and for some reason it happened to be divided by the train tracks or maybe the train tracks were the rougher side because that's where the blue collar workers were i don't know right it's probably something like that mm-hmm. uh i noted uh lady knows her owners as jim deer and darling which aren't actually you know probably their real names but just kind mm-hmm. of how they refer to each other but mm-hmm. i thought it was a it was a clever way of helping us kind of see things from the the dog point of view uh, we talked yeah. about you know not focusing on the faces and so she kind of refers to them as that because that's what she hears them call each other um, right. but not really something i picked up on as a child i think um i think mm-hmm. i just assumed his name was jim deer and her name was darling um <laughs> but then when you i think get a little bit older you start you kind of pick up on that maybe not as much as mm-hmm. a kid's i don't know i thought that was it's a clever thing and uh yeah it's interesting so yeah um i like that we see tramp uh, setting two dogs free from the dog catcher when the dog catcher is mm-hmm. introduced um, and that those characters come back later and are in the pound um, just it, it helps show the passage of time I think a little bit and something I didn't really gather when I watched this as a kid was that this movie spans two years um, I think as a kid you, you kind of just put it into a box that it's like oh this is you know over the course of a week or two or whatever right but like they get the dog, she grows up six months, and then the lady gets pregnant, has the baby, and then more time passes and, you know, ends with two Christmases after the first one. So it's literally mm-hmm. two years. Yep. Um, you know, I, I wish they would have addressed a little more how frequently the tramp visited because he wanders, escaping the dog catcher, he wanders into her neighborhood and then just sort of like inserts himself into the conversation that she's having with Jacques and Trusty. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's their, that's their meeting. But then it's like, they don't show them interacting again for 
like a year till the, the baby's born or mm. whenever when she runs away with uh with aunt sarah right. so right. like you know there's do, does he visit frequently do they build a friendship or is that they met this one time he went back to his side of the tracks and then they ran into each other again when she ran from the pet store and then ends mm. up meeting him again yeah. wish they would have really say. that a little bit yeah. How do you feel about the kind of pacing to the front of this movie? This one thing I was kind of aware of is I actually paused it when um, Lady ran after she got the muzzle. Because mm-hmm. to, to me, that's when I feel like the most memorable parts of the movie start is after, right. you know. The, and yeah, that was adventure. about, yeah, 35, I think 36 minutes in. Yeah. So, yeah, they, I, I thought that the front half of the movie was very too, it was very too front heavy. Like, it was a lot of just... Dog interacting with owners, dog interacting with other dogs, dog interacting, or lady interacting with, like, the baby and stuff like that. Yeah. Which, to, to me, wasn't the most interesting part of the film. I, I noted that I liked the pacing, that it kind of, you? you know, just kind of, it kept moving. It didn't, no scene, no one scene ended up dragging. Um, really? They may have done too much setup in this part, you know, trying mm-hmm. to establish what her daily life is like, that she's well off and she's got these friends and her, she's mm-hmm. the center of... Um, it's very like it's very much like Toy Story, um, but probably just more elongated. Where she's the center of these humans' world, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden she's not. And so Buzz Lightyear metaphor being the baby, um, I I found it interesting. I thought it was cool setup because okay. you're seeing her life and how you know it's, it's just perfect, and then all of a sudden she's just that dog, and and it really mm-hmm. offends her and affects her. And I I liked how it was set up i thought it was good but yeah i can see that it, it you know it definitely could be seen as too much setup so okay I don't david know. let me Fair let enough. me read what i wrote david uh i have a note here at at the moment with the muzzle running away it isn't until lady runs away from being muzzled that i feel like this movie starts to finally to find a decent pace mm. tramp fighting the wild dogs and going to see the beaver are very much needed the front half of the movie is a bit slow so yeah. I agree with you, David. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from, Jeff. I agree. It's, mm-hmm. it is, some of it is necessary setup, um, mm-hmm. and, and establishing some of these characters and, and all that stuff. And that's fine. But yeah, I, I definitely agree that I felt like it was a little slow on the front end and then it, yeah. it just gets a lot more interesting. And maybe that's it is because it's such a bump up in energy where all of a sudden she's being chased and tramps fighting these mm-hmm. wild dogs. And it's just like, mm-hmm. Whoa, like, this could have been a lot more intense the whole time, I guess. I right. Don't know. Yeah. And I think no, the reason t- for me anyway, that Tori's story it succeeds by doing similar things is I find the characters to be a lot more interesting and relatable in, in Toy Story. Yeah. Where the Lady, the to me, isn't particularly too. an amazing protagonist. I'm just mm-hmm. but thinking about it right now. Like, this movie really is just the same as Toy Story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, a, <laughs> I mean, other than the romanticism part, but it's like... Mm-hmm. D- don't Woody and Buzz fall in love though? Yeah, well. Yeah, there's that scene where Woody and Buzz eat spaghetti and end up making out. <laughs> Mrs. It's Nesbitt. Nesbitt. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, yeah. No, but it's you know it's the, they end up away from home and are trying to get back home. Um, mm-hmm. it, it deviates a lot, but it does have similarity. <laughs> no, I, I can see it actually. That's. Yeah. I think this isn't the first episode where you've like uh, not drawn parallels between other movies. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Seems like every there's only every. seven stories in history. They say, <laughs> yeah. literally, like that's that's the thing. And do you guys did you guys oh. say that in English? There's there's seven right. basic stories. Mm-hmm. David wasn't paying attention during that one. <laughs> he had zoned out.
CinemaScope. Coffee hasn't kicked in. <laughs> uh, I made a note that Disney Animation did a great job uh, studying the way dogs move and animating yeah. them in, in such a way. Um, I think if it wasn't very clear to a uh, viewer, when you get to the point where we're first introduced to Tramp and he does that that shot where he stands up and stretches is mm. so spot on for anyone yeah, who like well. anyone who's around a dog or has a dog. You, you, when you see that, you're like, yep, that's pretty much exactly how it is. Yeah. And so uh, I don't know if you guys know similar totally. dog dog mannerisms, but I thought they did a great job. The I mean, just starting with the puppy, I I noted it with the puppy at the very very first scene, like the way she runs across across the floor and is like slipping and plows into the door, but then it doesn't move and she's confused and just the way she you know cocks her head and all that, like it's just brilliant. And then, yeah, the same thing with the tramp, like when he, when he stretches and then as he gets the water and then walks under the water drip and, you know, shakes and all that. I mean, it's just, I didn't ever feel like they dropped the ball on that. Like every reaction just seemed like a real dog reaction. It was, it's mm-hmm. pretty incredible, really. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that every movie needs a villain, but this one doesn't really have a clear villain mm-hmm. uh is it the dog catcher is it the baby is it the rat i i, I, I yeah. don't know i mean yeah it's... there isn't really it's yeah there isn't really a clear like there's obviously threats to being a dog like the villain is really just all external threats to dog it's not really like one defined yeah. <laughs> could be a dog catcher could be losing attention could be a rat I guess maybe problem back then more so mm-hmm. i've never had a rat in my <laughs> I house <guess. laughs> i was thinking of that too and it's kind of like the, the one that came to mind is like moana it's there's there's bad characters but she kind of just moves through them there's not like a central villain mm-hmm. um and it's it's a dog versus nature dog versus environment where mm-hmm. the villain is her overcoming the unknown overcoming fear maybe just you know being out of her comfort zone and that's where the the conflict is is her adjusting to change toy story has sid so it has a villain but like in general it's woody the villain is really more woody being displaced and and him fighting himself and learning to deal with change so you might say that you know it's can you stop talking about toy story well that's (laughs) because it's the similarities but okay (laughs) I'm just kidding. Death loves Toy Story. <laughs> Speaking of Toy Story, <laughs> uh, back when they made Toy Story, it was uh, based on uh, the. No, I don't know. Jeff is like a connoisseur of Toy Story and just <laughs> bringing that into discussion. <laughs> this reminds me it. of Toy Story. I'm going to try and slip it into the rest of our episodes. <laughs> Watch me. <laughs> Uh, speaking of like great animated shots with dogs, uh, there's a shot where Rusty. Uh, or trusty, sorry, trusty, trusty yeah. uh, starts scratching his his neck, and all of his skin folds over his face. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm convinced that's like one of the best animated shots ever for like 2D <laughs> animation. Pretty it's spectacular. So good. Mm-hmm. It probably took somebody so long to animate that, and they just freaking knocked it out. It's awesome. Yeah. Like, as an animator, how do you even how do you even create the reference footage for that, or do you? Like, that's just brilliant. Right, and there's so many little folds of skin. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure those dogs when they when they do stuff like that, you kind of get that effect, but probably not Lightly. to that degree. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Uh, and so they embellished it and it made for a, a kind of funny moment. And 
it's just totally. fun to look at. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next thing I had after that was <clears throat> when <laughs> Darling sends Jim Deere out at three in the morning to get watermelon and chop suey. Watching this as an adult versus watching it as a kid, those types of moments are hilarious. And <laughs> even though like I don't have kids, like it's super, you know, my friends are just seeing popular culture. It's super relatable and hilarious and still relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also like in 19, whatever this is, I mean, it looks like turn of the century, like 1910 or something. Um, where the heck would he go at three in the morning <laughs> to get those things? It's April. So like watermelon's not really in season for one. Uh, and two, it's not like there's a Walmart, like a 24 hour Walmart. Like there's a general store downtown and that, you know, the owner is probably right. your next door neighbor, you know? So, like, <laughs> he goes like, downtown with a brick and just drops a window yeah. and steals it. <laughs> goes into the back yeah. alley, steals it out of the crate. Yeah. He's like, my wife is pregnant. Don't you mess with me. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that because actually my next point was, was about the chop suey reference, uh-huh. uh, which I thought was a bit peculiar. And I was like, did they even have chop suey back? whenever this is and so i looked it up and apparently chop suey was a dish that was created in america is oh. not a like native chinese dish okay. and it was it was it's not fully like clear when it was made but the it was around the turn turn of the century actually that it okay. that it, it came mm-hmm. a thing uh it was something that americans would order but and eat but uh like native chinese and uh ethnic asian people probably typically would not eat this it was more of an american thing so it's totally plausible uh they threw it in i imagine um they knew when they when they chose that. I, I'm sure they wanted to pick something super random, mm-hmm. and so they're like, "Ah, Chinese food." Um, That's random. But even still, like, how many places do you think had served Chinese yeah. food at the turn of the century? It was <laughs> right. probably very, you know, scarce. Uh, yeah. But I could be wrong. I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting. I'm sure they were just trying to come up with something really random to go with watermelon, right. and so that was what they picked. But maybe um, he wasn't picking up food. Maybe he was picking up a system of a down record. <laughs> Yo, I thought I don't think you trust. Okay, <laughs> he just went out to his car and turned that on and just yeah. yeah. Here you go. Here's some chops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies all head banging. Maybe that's how <sighs> Darling woke him up at three in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> wake up! Don't give me some more makeup. You want to? <laughs> um. Yeah. What is a baby? So quarter way through the movie. Uh, lady starts singing inside her head about the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really like that part. It kind of seemed out of place because up to this point, there really wasn't much singing. Uh, I think after this, the mom sings that Lulu song or whatever, but it was just mm-hmm. like out of nowhere, all of a sudden she's like singing in her head and it's very mm-hmm. reverby and it was just like a really kind of not a very catchy melody and it was like, and I think it was intentionally kind of this uncertainty like, what is mm-hmm. this thing? But mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, it was like, oh, apparently we're, we're singing now. And I think this is the only part of the movie where Lady sings anything. And so it was yeah. just like, it just, it felt like an unfleshed out music number. And I didn't really, I don't know. I feel like she, she could have just thought those things and recorded mm-hmm. it talking. Mm-hmm. Like, why did it need to be sung when she doesn't sing anything else in the rest of the movie? I, I just thought it was the, weird. All the music in the movie sort of feels out of place um bella note yeah. kind of works but like 
he's a tramp doesn't really work. It's just like what mm-hmm. suddenly there's a musical exposition. Um, yeah. The the Siamese cat song like just feels really out of place because like you said, it's it's not a musical. Right. They don't mm-hmm. start with a the musical. There's no I want song quote unquote. So like it's really weird to just throw in and very limited musical numbers. Um, the music uh, the movie doesn't really have. I guess it does have a there's a oh what's the term for like characters having their own score um uh, leitmotif uh lady sort of has one that's like but other than that like there's not a significant score it's very much pushed to the back in my opinion mm-hmm. so i right. yeah the the music in this movie is kind of odd it's sort of like at at, at odds with itself right I don't know, David. Do you think this movie is a musical or not? N- no, not really. Um, and most, I don't really think I particularly even like care for most of the music in it. When it, like you said it's out of place and it's not even like particularly memorable. Um, the Siamese cat song is probably the most memorable one, just because of it being borderline racist. But like other than that, like I, I can't really. Re- I just watched this yesterday, and I, I remembered like the baby song in Lady's Head, but I don't. I don't remember the tune or any of the words. It was just kind of there. So yeah, yeah. To me, Bella Notte is kind of the more notable mm-hmm. one, and that's right. pretty much it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm all caught up to the Siamese cat song. Uh, Jeff, did you have anything before then? Uh, real quick, the Jim Deer and Darling leaving like the month they have the freaking baby. Like, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> like what the heck? <laughs> right. they, needed a, they needed a break, man. Yeah, They're super rich, too intense. To go to their island. God, that really, uh, you know, again as a kid, you don't really think about it, but like as an adult, like who does this? Like, and I mean, this is before formula and stuff. So what? The Aunt Sarah just giving the baby just cow milk? Like what is happening? No. Yep, she's breastfeeding. Yeah. Hey, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe well, was... someone had to do it so that the you know Jim and Jim Deer and Darling could go have their cocaine binge on a private island. Yes, yeah. <laughs> That's close. I don't. I don't. Was there, was there cocaine at the turn of the century? I don't know. Probably, probably or opium. O- opium. We could go yeah. opium. Yeah, that was the yeah. thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I wonder if. Uh, maybe that was more common was back that, then. Yeah, was that like what you did? Did because because like back then they used to have like nurseries with. You know, Mary Poppins watching your kids, and, and then right. You would... This is a rich family. You would think they just have a nanny, right? Right. <laughs> so maybe they were in the process, and they're, and yeah, maybe just back then the it letters. wasn't like, right. <laughs> maybe it wasn't as common practice to like mm-hmm. nurture a baby. It was just like, oh, when they get older, then we'll like mm-hmm. invest in the kid, and then yeah. so at that point they're like, we did our job. Let's go do our thing, mm-hmm. and. When the baby's older, we'll... I don't know. I, yeah. It's okay. Right. They, it is kind of weird. They gave the baby fun. the key to the latch. It's fine. The latchkey baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other thing I noticed is that the baby was, like, delivered in the house, which is probably more common back then, but still right. crazy. Like, right. doctors made house calls. Hopefully that doctor used proper hygiene, washed his hands. <laughs> Jeff, I'm pretty sure they did back then. Oh, man. They also did some I weird practices back then. So I'm mm-hmm. put leeches on her and <laughs> I, was just gonna, I was literally just gonna make a leech <laughs> reference. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> um but yeah, anyway, yeah. Did, Siamese cat. Oh no, yeah. did you also notice the baby had like way too much detail drawn on it? 
Honestly, yeah, it was like it was, a painting. It was more of a background painting than an yeah. animated character. <laughs> right. So it was like super mm-hmm. detailed compared to, especially compared to Jim Deere and Darling, who are <laughs> very flat painted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally does. I know. I get the feeling that, like, I mean, maybe, you know, in the original film, it was less noticeable. But it just felt like Lady was like looking at a picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, they had a cardboard, totally. piece of cardboard. In the- <laughs> You've birthed a painting. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's not a story, right. it's a still life. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. bad joke. All right, no, uh, Siamese cats. Let's let's talk about this. Um, a racist alert, I guess. I, yeah. I, yeah. Disney mm-hmm. Plus seems to think so. Uh, I didn't oh, think yeah. the lyrics were overtly racist compared to Peter Pan, uh, but I don't know. Maybe you honestly, I think thoughts. it's less the lyrics and more how it's sung and how the cats are drawn and animated. The broken English and yeah, but like, they're yeah, from the, the front teeth. But they're Siamese the cat. cats, guys. That's the jo- and uh, Jacques <laughs> oh, yeah. is Scottish. Like it- I know, I don't know where you draw the line on that kind of stuff. I've it's one of those things. It's like that's not in the Simpsons. Like is it right? Like art imitates life, but then at what point is it unacceptable? I think it's I think it's different when doing an accent and doing a caricature that's like has like a history of being associated with oppressing a minority. I think that's yeah, I think kind that's of the difference between that and Scotty and Scotty. <laughs> right. Um, they did take this out, uh, these characters out for the uh, the live action Disney Plus exclusive movie. Uh, they they removed the song. I think they. It's been a while now. I think they still had cats, but they weren't Siamese cats. They were like those like naked cat things that don't have fur or whatever. <laughs> Na- I still haven't watched the live action remake. Hmm. Naked Mole Cat. <laughs> yeah, Naked Mole Cat. Actually, I didn't I didn't dislike the live action one. I thought it was pretty good. Um, how is the pacing? Like I started watching it, then I remembered how boring Lady and the Tramp was, and without the animation to keep me inter- interested, I just couldn't <laughs> make it through. Yeah, I mean yeah, I guess it's it's equally paced, I would say from okay. the animated one but I, I guess the only thing I didn't like was just some of the animations of, of the dogs and stuff where they mm-hmm. would you know they would like animate their eyes or make them you know and the, the mouths look kind of fake at times like I almost I almost prefer movies when they just the dogs mouths don't move but they talk mm-hmm. uh, Homeward Bound yeah. style oh yeah yep yeah um, and and so because it just it just never looks right yeah um, you can just imagine that the dogs communicate by telepathy. Yeah. 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 Mm. <laughs> All dogs are psychic. <laughs> uh, okay. But it wasn't terrible, actually. I was, it was, I think, more favorable, in my opinion, than some of the other live action ones. So, David, I know you've said in the past that you didn't like, you know, the them redoing the uh, Renaissance movies, but mm-hmm. I think they should stick with more of some of the older stuff. And I think, I think this was actually a pretty good choice. All things considered, but we don't have to talk about that anymore. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, real quick, I wanted to give a shout out to voice actor Bill Thompson. This dude uh, did a lot of voices in this movie. He did the voice of Jock. He did Bull, the Bull Terrier. He did the policeman at the zoo. He did, uh, I think it's DeChessie, who is making the spaghettis. Uh, he does Joe and... Jim's friend. So, um, Dang. yeah, a lot, of, a lot of voices in, uh, for one guy. A lot of accents. Uh, he, yeah, 
different things. And if you, if you listen carefully, you can kind of hear it in all of them. But mm-hmm. he does a very good job of, of coming up with these different sounds. Like the Bull Terrier had this like kind of speech impediment thing. Yeah. with that was yeah, where he, was, he talked real funny and you could mm-hmm. hear it. And yeah, and he just did a really good job. He also was a voice actor who did, did Smee. Uh, he did the White Rabbit. Oh, I didn't realize that. Uh, That's cool. And, yeah, and then he, uh, I think he's also the one of the kings in uh, Sleeping Beauty. So he, he does a ton of ton of voices and was super pivotal in this time and mm-hmm. provided a lot for them. So I'm sure people like that saved Disney quite a bit of money. Instead of having to mm-hmm. cast seven different voice actors, he, they literally had one guy come in and do seven different characters. Um, and so I noticed that was something they did a lot of. And I think yeah. uh, there were some other people in this movie that did some multiple voices as well. But um, yeah, I just want to give give Bill a shout out because he did a he did a stellar job. Good job, Bill. Um, in the uh, animation thing, I noticed in the scene where they go to the pet store and get the muzzle, and she runs out. She runs across the street in front of a trolley and. This is just like really nerdy Jeffrey thing, but the the trolley doesn't have any cables above it, but is connected to <laughs> cables. And then it looks like they've stopped animating it before the scene was over, so it literally just stops in the background <laughs> and just sits there, like not. And I mean, <laughs> I like abruptly, that. not like it came to a stop at a station down the street. Like it just right. this little thing in the background just stops. But ladies running and everything's happening so fast that you don't really notice it initially but i thought that was funny it was probably hmm, right it was like ah whatever it's fine i i would guess they maybe extended the scene or something but yeah i mean back in that day too most people would go see a movie in the theater once and would right. probably never see it again right <laughs> they weren't expecting people like to frame by frame this later like you know <laughs> totally 60 years later geez 70 years how long ago is this movie 70 70-ish uh, years 60 years 65 years yeah so yeah long time mm-hmm. wow uh real quick uh we should probably talk about bella note bella note whatever you want to call it uh obviously i, I agree with jeff probably the most iconic uh scene and uh song from this movie mm-hmm. um obviously the 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 whole spaghetti thing is something that uh, has kind of has its own uh meaning in life and in, in mm-hmm. pop culture moving forward i i haven't seen like an official list of how many other movies have kind of referenced this this scene but there's quite a few uh mm-hmm. kung fu panda comes to mind i think there's there's probably plenty more but uh, i don't know what do you guys think of this song do you like the song do you like the sequence what, what are your thoughts the song is just okay to me like it's iconic but it's not like my favorite song mm-hmm. but i tend to like more upbeat kind of like bop your head songs and this one's very much mm-hmm. a romantic Italian ballad or whatever. I love accordions, so I do like that. Yeah, but I do too. Yeah, I like accordions. What do you? What about you, David? Do you like this song? It's all right. Like I don't really. I know everyone seems to like it. I I don't really like. I like the accordion bit. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's a fun, iconic scene, but mm-hmm. I I don't find the music, music or the song to be particularly spectacular. It's just some old Italian ballad. Yeah. I did find it this is separate from the song, but that in that mm-hmm. scene, that the characters really just look like Mario and Luigi. Yeah, they do. Thirty don't years they? before Mario and Luigi. Mm-hmm. So right, right. 
Maybe um, Miyamoto based Mario and Luigi at Pond. It could be. I think he likes Disney movies. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, yeah, I like the song. Uh, I think I think it's obviously iconic. The whole scene is good. I think the the whole setup for it is pretty good too. I think it's funny yeah. that these two Italian dudes give this dog you know bones, but then he brings a girl around and they're like, "What are you doing? Like this guy is he's getting uh, spaghetti tonight, the the best spaghetti in town." And uh, and then they sing a romantic song for them while they eat it. And yeah, I I think it would be a lot funnier thing to to see this in person where. There's like two dogs in an alley eating spaghetti while these Italian dudes <laughs> sing sing them a love ballad. Yeah. Um, so I kind of I kind of chuckled just thinking about it that way. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, they they basically achieved making spaghetti uh, a romantic thing to eat. Even though yeah. when I eat it, I spill it all over the place. <laughs> so like a red ring around your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nothing attractive about that. Two comments on this scene. One, as the tramp gets there they sort of foreshadow the conflict that does arise later when uh, he's like, you should uh, keep this one or, you know, whatever, like Mm. lock down this one. And she goes this one. And then they kind of just, you know, roll over it and keep moving forward. The other thing about this scene is I think would have been hilarious is if there'd been patrons in the restaurant who were like, where's our food? You know, like these two (laughs) dudes just drop everything. They, They stop cooking. They stop waiting. They just go out back and they're like singing and they're making food just for the dogs. And I thought that was hilarious and it could have been a, a more comedic bit if they wanted it mm-hmm. to be, but maybe it was better to keep the focus romantic. Yeah. And I think this is pivotal too. Like, I guess I heard that, uh, originally Walt Disney did not like the idea of this scene and didn't want to mm-hmm. do it. Oh, uh, really? but then one, one of the animators really, really wanted it. And so he, spent his own time basically sketching and animating it himself uh, and then showed it to Walt Disney. And then Walt Disney was like, all right, let's do it. And so originally it wasn't going to be in there. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. I I think it's also very important for the plot because for me, and I'll talk a little bit more about this later too. I didn't really feel the romance in this movie. Um, Kind of felt like they spent a little bit of time together and then all of a sudden she was like heartbroken over him and it was just like I didn't really feel the romance but I feel like without this scene it would have felt even more so that way where they like hung out one yeah. day and then all of a sudden she's like heartbroken that he dated other people and so it was like this at least kind of gave it a somewhat romantic moment mm-hmm. so you could actually be like alright I can buy that they were you know romantically into each other at this point I think it helps that he rescues her because it it's sort of that I don't it's not the Florence Nightingale effect because that's the nurse, but it's like a girl just falling instantly for the guy who saves her cliche. Um, Titanic being a good example because that takes place over two days. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that at least sells it a little bit. It's like, okay, I can see she, he saved her. Now she's you know, infatuated with him and this is her first time out of her house and he's showing her a good time. And, you know, it's it's maybe that way. But yeah, I, I think you're right. Like they could have maybe had them connect a little more a little more meaningfully but maybe they didn't want to maybe it was supposed to just be like she's not she doesn't actually love him she's just she likes the idea of him and then is jealous maybe yeah that makes sense one thing i noted um and just it's interesting this movie is probably one of the first ones that doesn't rely on sidekick slapstick Mm-hmm. Uh, humor you know like the way the mice were in Cinderella and the dwarves were in Snow White 
um, or, you know, even the Lost Boys in Peter Pan and all that, like, it's very much grounded. Um, there's just the teeniest little bit of slapstick, like maybe when um, the tramp fools the policeman and the, the nerdy guy with the book. Um, right, right. But beyond that, it's it, there's not a lot of that. And that was kind of a big thing of the earlier movies was Walt really tried to get gags, as he called them, just slapstick, visual, funny gags or, or cheeky gags into the movie because I think he thought that that's what needed to carry it. So this one's got maybe more story or more substance or something that they didn't feel they needed it. So I thought that was interesting. Mm. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. It's, it's, it's a very kind of serious movie, I would say, but mm-hmm. it's, but like you said, there's still, there's bits of humor in there, but it, it, right. it did feel like they weren't just going for what they previously relied pretty heavily on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that's a good point. I guess I didn't really think about that, but they could have had a really silly character that they had introduced that would run throughout and do stupid things. Jacques and didn't. Trusty could have been that because it's they're, right. they're kind of the quote-unquote Disney sidekicks of this movie, but neither one of them is, you know, the, the closest to slapstick is the little caterpillar, like, <laughs> right. Trusty sniffs. That's, that's maybe the closest they get to it. Yeah. One question I had that I wrote down, maybe you guys know the answer to this. I don't. Uh, why does Tramp call Lady Pigeon? Pidge? was that ever explained my wife and i were talking about that last night i Hmm. have absolutely no idea i'm wondering if that was maybe the equivalent of the era of um you know like a dude calling a girl a chick like i I don't know yeah that would be my guess um just you know even in britain now they still call girls birds i'm wondering if that's something that was in the american vernacular and then just sort of completely, you know, eventually got phased out. So maybe mm-hmm. that was like just something that was said in wherever this was at the time. Only thing I can turn of the century. Of. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. I was just curious. That's that's a good theory. I guess I could have googled it, but I figured I'd just mm-hmm. ask you. So. Um. All right. So at this point in the movie, for me, I had this moment of shock and awe. And it kind of upset me. Uh, I kind of realized why I don't enjoy watching this movie. Up until this point, I was having a good time. But then we got to a certain sequence within the movie where we are taken to the dog pound. And there are these dogs in you know jail. They're kind of doing this. And mm-hmm. they're howling and singing this sad song. And they do this like montage of sad, crying, crying dogs. dogs. Jeez, Holy yeah. crap. What My wife the heck? Won't watch this movie because of that scene. <laughs> it's so bad. It's yeah. so upset. Like I get it. Like it. I guess they're trying to like prove a point that like you gotta take care of dogs that are in pounds and stuff. But it's like yeah. I feel like they could have like been more like, hey, I'm in jail. I've been put away. But it, but instead, it's like a freaking Sarah McLaughlin commercial. Go, yeah, it really is. They go right for the heart. Yep. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> and it's just like really hits you one two and then right after that moment they kill off poor nutsy remember that part where they're like oh there goes nutsy and they show like the shadow of him and he's like yeah he's like he goes to the keep outdoor where they euthanize the dogs yeah Yeah. i'm just like oh my gosh this is bumming me out man i love dogs i'm a dog person and so this kind of stuff just really bumps me out i wonder how they even put down dogs back then too if you want to make it even darker like yeah. did they even euthanize dogs or did they just like you know shoot them or something or the get them in the head yeah <laughs> like yeah if you want it to be even darker so mm-hmm. you're welcome 
Yeah, thanks, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, this whole scene sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, it it's helpful to the story to show her how bad things are when you don't have a home and appreciate what you've got and maybe the grass isn't always greener. I don't know. But good Lord, like, it's, yeah, it's it's rough. Yeah. No, no pun intended. <laughs> rough. Uh, um, s- go ahead, Dave. Sorry, I had one more thing. Um, no, you're good. I think maybe I'm wrong, but wasn't a, Trusty's the name of the big dog, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I thought I remember reading that originally Trusty was supposed to actually die. Correct. And that, right. yeah, and that they just sort of, they thought it was just so, so dark that people couldn't, because the rest of the movie's tonally pretty dark. They didn't think the audience would respond well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they convince Which, you he is, so. Right. They yeah. literally fade to black and he's. Not moving wagon wheel or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and jocks like crying and stuff. That, yeah, part, that of, part pissed me off too. I'm just like, rough. Yeah, it's like so. Dark. I don't know the to- sudden tonal shift there of it being so dark. And then like he's fine. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if it would really been been a better movie if he died because this movie's already so murky and dark. But I right. don't know if that really would have made it a better movie. But the changing it last minute also doesn't really do the movie much service. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third, what I would call real song of the movie, is the song "He's a Tramp," which is all takes place in the uh, in the dog house or in the uh, the pound, and uh, basically just talking about how uh, Tramp kind of he gets around a little bit, and uh, he's pretty popular with the ladies. You guys like the song? What do you think? I hate he's a this tramp. Song. <laughs> I just I've Jeff never hates liked it. This song. Um, I just don't like. Like I said, I like poppy bop songs and this one again just um it's yeah and i also hate the way they animated pig pig and his dog right she always has fur over her one eye and then her other eye is always looking up and she just looks high and it drives me nuts i just i don't like it <laughs> i just don't like it Oh, okay. I wonder if it was a character caricature of Peggy Lee. Like I've seen pictures, it doesn't really look like her, but I'm sure it was meant to be sort of her as a dog. But right, I don't know. Maybe that was her performance. Style. Hmm. I, David, I know, what do you guys think of this? Song? David, do you hate this song? Yeah, it sucks. <clears throat> wow. All right. <laughs> well, you clear. Do you like this uh, song? I don't. No, I don't hate this song. I, I, okay. I think it's. I think it's kind of good. I like the. Uh, the dog howling in the background is kind of like the doo-wop back, background singers. Uh, I love the bull dog when he goes, I don't know why, but I've always just like, I always sing along during that part. I really like it. Uh, if, if it weren't for the sing-alongs having this, I probably wouldn't know it as well and probably wouldn't like it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's probably a song that was the style kind of fit Peggy and, and the kind of music she was singing. Sure. I don't know if she was a, a jazz singer. She's a jazz that, singer, yeah. So yeah. it probably was, it fit her real well. Um, so yeah, it, I agree it's not the strongest song in the movie, but uh, I'd prefer it over the Siamese cat song, so I guess that puts it like number two for me, but <laughs> that's not really a hard thing to beat. Um, real quick though, in the live action version of this movie, I really liked what they did with this song because they're uh, they're in the the pound. Hi, puppy. Oh, <laughs> it's a little pupper. Yeah, for those listening to the audio only version, a uh, dog just popped up. Appeared in Jeff's <laughs> lap. 
Mm-hmm. Um, in the live action one, they're at the pound, but the pound is right on the edge of a river. And so uh, when Lady gets taken to the pound, a uh, like a ferry boat uh, like kind of thing is g- slowly going by and they're like playing jazz music on this boat. And so it basically oh. is like playing the background music for them to sing the song in the pound, clever. which I thought was super <laughs> clever. And yeah. um, most most times Disney doesn't try to explain why music is playing, but in this right. one they gave it like a really cool reason, and I thought that was mm-hmm. it was super super cool. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, something we haven't really talked too much about. Well, we've talked a little bit, but I wanted to bring up. Um, the for the animation and and all that that they as beautiful as this movie is and being widescreen and cinemascope and having just gorgeous backgrounds it's another one where they don't use the multiplane camera at all yeah which really sucks because that opening scene where they're going through the village and um especially in bella note or just after bella note when they're like walking through the park the camera pans a lot and zooms a lot and the trees are just static and I hate it. <laughs> I don't understand why they wouldn't have just used it. I mean, because just for two or three shots, it would have been fine. Right. So I just wanted to point that out because it seems like that was sorely lacking to an animation enthusiast. It maybe makes up for it because it's in widescreen and beautiful. Maybe they hadn't adapted the uh, multiplane for widescreen because it was probably built in 4 by 3 So, I mean, it could just be as simple as that, that they needed to build a new mm-hmm. rig, but I don't know. Yeah. That makes sense, actually. That could totally be why they mm-hmm. didn't do it. Um, yeah, I noticed a couple reviews I watched. People were noting that it was sorely missed, sorely lacking. For me, and, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's tough when they, they did it so well early on. And yeah. Then, and then when you don't have it, it's like, man, it, it added so much. Um, but eventually, you know. Does it? Yeah, did yeah. Eventually, we get it back, uh, not Mm -hmm. in the same way, but But, um, yeah. yeah, No, that's as worth noticing, noticing for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Earlier, I had mentioned that there were a few things about this movie that I didn't really remember, Mm -hmm. uh, having watched it as a kid. One of them being there's a part in the movie toward the very end uh, where Trusty and Jacques. Uh, basically attempt to uh, marry Lady. Yes. Uh, propose to her. <laughs> I noted this so, as well, yeah. So that they can, uh, she can move in with them, I guess. Because you have to be yeah. married as dogs in order to leave your owners and go to someone else's house. The whole thing was just weird and it was like, why did that need it? It was kind of sweet because it was like they knew they were older and kind of out of her league, but they were like they were like, I'll be a good husband to you if, if it means, like, you'll be taken care of. Right. Um, but then she kind of just brushes it off and they move along. It, it was, it was yeah. kind of just a strange thing. I, Super I weird, yeah. I, I feel like that whole scene could have just been them coming to her as friends trying to support her rather than, <laughs> like, even before mm-hmm. the scene, they're, they're talking to each other and they're like, well, you know, I know you're older or whatever, but one of, one of us is going to maybe get her and we'll be okay whatever happens just like what <laughs> didn't didn't pick up on that at all as a kid mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> super weird do rats typically try to attack sleeping babies i don't think so but this one was like dead set on it like, yeah life i mean goal. rats i mean they're just rodents they just scavenge i, I don't think you would give a shit about 
sorry. They don't think it would care about a baby. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, I feel like they would just go for the pantry. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or yeah. honestly, like, I I don't even think they'd come to this part of town because it comes from the other side mm-hmm. of town um, or whatever, past the fence, through the fence. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. That back alley of Tony's had a ton of food just in open crates. So, right. Oh, well, I don't know, man. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was that was interesting. Um, also, Aunt Sarah leaving the dog out in the rain, like God, she's awful. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I thought about that too. I was like, that's kind of the worst. I just like that she didn't look like that type of character either. Like when you first see her, she looks like this friendly, like old lady. Right. Always looks kind of like the fairy godmother or something like that. She yeah, looks she like just going to be a good guy. Yeah, and then she's just like the worst. <laughs> right. Great. Um, all right. So it was at this point in watching the movie that I kind of came to this conclusion. I figured we'd open this up right now. Um, some people could view this as a negative thing and some people could say that this is what makes the movie even better. Uh, I'll let you guys kind of tell me what you think, but my problem with this movie is that I feel like there's too much going on as far as the overarching conflict of the movie. Um, there's the the first and most obvious thing which is you know there's a dog trying to cope with the fact that there's a baby that shows up and takes the spotlight away things change so there's that but then there's also a romance going on uh which like i mentioned earlier i felt like they didn't spend enough time on and didn't feel like it was like fully thought out so by Mm -hmm. the time she's crying in her you know dog house over him it was just like it, it was like, okay, I guess this is a romance thing too. Um, I've seen people saying that this is like one of the best ro- like romance films in a long time <laughs> for Disney. And I'm like, it doesn't even really feel like a romance film. And then no. there's this, then there's this whole thing of like, is it better to be a house dog or like a wild dog? Kind mm. of this like Aladdin, Jasmine, like I want to be in your position. And then totally. kind of her going out and seeing what it's like to, uh, Go chase chickens and stuff and it's just like mm-hmm. and so i feel like there's like a lot of stuff going on and like i said you could you could totally say that that makes it too much but people could also say that's what makes it so unique is that they're throwing so many different you know kind of uh plots and devices together into one you know coherent story so i don't know what do, what do you guys think thinking of it that way I'm a little torn trying to kind of decide if that is what makes it good or bad. Um, I, it didn't seem to it, like, it didn't bother me to the point that I called it out that like, Oh, there's too many conflicts and mm-hmm. be, without a central conflict, it's just sort of like aimless, like Alice in Wonderland. Um, even though that mm-hmm. one, which obviously didn't really have any sort of plot, like the conflict was her trying to get home at least or whatever, but like, or you know whatever everything de- everything drove from her trying to get home whereas this is all over the place like you said so yeah. i don't know i for me it works i i think it it is more slice of life in that regard where it's like mm-hmm. you know in life there's never just one thing going mm-hmm. on you're trying to juggle all these different emotions and conflicts and whatever so like in that regard maybe that that helps or works or whatever so um as a movie and story structure maybe not as good as having some yeah. sort of bigger overarching conflict but um i yeah. i really think it needs for me anyway i think it needs something more to keep it moving yeah. i feel like this movie goes from either being boring to too dark to too boring and then right in the middle you kind of get this cool one like scene of happiness where lady and the tramp have fun together 
it just comes off to me. It's just whole thing just feels kind of drab and depressing. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, hey, look, life is mostly boring and awful, but then I guess maybe you have a good moment sometimes. I don't know. I don't know if that's the message they're going for. I, I guess it's kind of slice of life, like as you said, but I guess to me, it didn't really, it, it I don't know. It, it, it didn't feel that entertaining outside of it, the amazing animation and the amazing backgrounds. And that's really the main reason I would watch this. Mm -hmm. See that. I don't find the music particularly interesting or anything else. Like another thing that I think they could have, if the music had been better, that could have been a way to keep such a sort of random sporadic movie moving along. To me, it just feels like the movie starts, a bunch of things happen, and then the movie ends. Yeah. I don't know. I think me personally, I would have just, I would have picked maybe one, maybe two mm -hmm. overarching conflicts and things and mm -hmm. spent more time with those. Uh, I felt like they did a good job setting up the whole being replaced thing uh, by a baby. And then mm -hmm. they they kind of resolve it at the end. You know, Tramp saves the day and then they save Tramp and all everyone's happy all of a sudden. And Jim... Mm -hmm. Jim Deere and Darlene are like super nice now and everything. And it's just like, so the, I didn't feel like the conflict resolved very great. The romance thing obviously worked out, but I didn't feel like they spent enough time really uh, showing us that these characters were connecting on a personal level outside of a montage of them walking through romantic wet cement. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think, I think they could have, I think they set it up for one plot. Then they threw a love story in the middle of it and then they kind of tried to wrap it all up. And so, um, but I I don't know I don't know how you how you f you fix it in in but yeah I I don't know where I'm going with it but I'm probably nitpicking at this point but it was just something I noticed where it was like it felt like there was a lot going on and they had minimal time to kind of wrap it all up uh, I will yeah. say at one point toward the end I did note that I felt like the movie was going on a little long uh, mm -hmm. it was longer than I remembered it being um, but yeah, after the rat scene I feel like it didn't need to be. The rescue scene mm -hmm. right uh, they should have just the, the mom and dad should have came home and found right. the rat and then it, like you're a hero and then it could yeah exactly right. and this movie's only like what hour 18 minutes yeah it, it, does, it feels so much longer though <laughs> right yeah. agreed <laughs> like, yeah yeah uh last thing i noted uh before that actually i just want to mention the uh zoo scene with the uh with the beaver i i would be I would be mad at myself if we didn't at least mention that that's a, a fun scene. I really like that yeah. scene. He's a good yeah. character. They he's did a good job a with it. Um, like he's also basically the gopher from Winnie the Pooh. Yes. He has a little whistly speaking hey, voice. that works. Well. <laughs> exactly. You do that well. Uh, I can't do that. That was pretty good, Jeff. Oh, thank you. Um, so I just want to mention that scene. I love it. There's not a lot to talk about with it, but I just it's a good scene. Um, yeah. The last thing I noted, uh, thankfully at the very end, uh, they did not kill Trusty, obviously. Um, yeah. And then Lady and, and the Tramp both have babies that are perfect breed copies of themselves based on the gender, as <laughs> yep. is the that's rule in works. most cartoons. Yep, that's, yeah. that's how <laughs> yeah. it is. So, um, yeah, that that's the last thing I had. Did, did you guys have any other things of note? No, uh, I think we've pretty much covered everything. Yep. I like that it bookends with Christmas on each end. Um, the little baby as a infant or whatever, as a toddler, kind of looks like uh, Michael from Peter Pan. You're right. That's about it. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm good. I'm ready for final thoughts. Never y'all. All um, right. Let's do it. Final thoughts. Who are we starting with today? Jeff David, go ahead. Uh, okay. Go. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, we edit some of what I've already said. Um, I don't really like this movie very much, and I don't have the nostalgia factor to, I think, brighten it up. Um, to me, it's just, it's too boring. Um, I like a few bits here and there, but I think I probably would have preferred the way I've seen those bits in the past, which is just watching the few select scenes that have really iconic backgrounds or animation or, you know, cool moments. And watching this as a complete picture kind of just bores me <laughs> or depresses me, one or the other. Um, uh, that being said, it is probably my favorite work of 2D animation in a film. Um, I really, because of it being in CinemaScope, because it being one of the last hand inks, and I do stylistically like the art style they went for more here than in Sleeping Beauty, which is, I think, the other, probably my second favorite animation-wise. Um, so I have to give it a big kudos for that. This is a film that is absolutely beautiful. The backgrounds are pristine. The animation is just incredible to watch. And yeah, but as a film, I don't. I think it's kind of boring. And this is, uh, I think you mentioned earlier that this one, you know, this is a prime, prime one to turn into a remake uh, because it's, you know, not um, not a renaissance film. I guess my slight disagreement with that would be is that wasn't very, it's, it's hard to make it, this story better and the animation is the thing that keeps it going. Um, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Oh, man. Okay. Um, it's interesting. I kind of came into this with an idea in my head of, what I would score it, but then, you know, talking through it with you guys is very helpful to kind of help me shape my own opinion. Um, as Dave said, it is one of the most beautifully animated and drawn and just the, the backgrounds and the dog character animations and uh, the personality, the, the, even to me, the characters in general are, are really well done. Um, plot wise, with even without the overarching uh, conflict or, or whatever central conflict I think it works well it's it's basically dog story going back to my toy story connection mm-hmm. um, you know the life of a dog as she goes from puppy to young lady learning how the world works you know doesn't understand what a baby is doesn't understand the streets all that so like seeing the character development of her uh, in general is pretty good it's not perfect but um you know, there's the technical shortcomings of the animation, obviously being the lack of multiplane. Other than that, really well done. So I think I came in thinking I would give it a nine, and I think I'm actually going to give it an eight. All right, cool. For me, uh, kind of wrapping up everything I've said so far, it started out a bit slow for me, I feel like, then event- mm-hmm. eventually found its stride. Uh, I felt like it had some really good characters uh, and some really good voice actors, uh, which really played those characters well. Outside of the main two characters, I didn't... I mean, I felt like the guy that did the voice for Tramp did a good job and and Lady was fine, but they were just... Those characters were kind of just okay for me. Uh, Tramp obviously was very, like, carefree and just like, hey, whatever, you know, it's all good. And it was fine, um... But then when you, if you compare him against like a character like Thomas O'Malley from Aristocats, I feel like Thomas O'Malley has 
leaps and bounds more personality and is just way more of an interesting character even though they're very similar um and so i i don't know i just i i, I didn't really attach to lady and the tramp but then some of the other side characters i thought were, were much stronger um other than that uh just not an overly interesting plot i think i think that it was kind of like the the plot that they came up with just didn't really wasn't super interesting to me as a kid i didn't really relate with being replaced by a baby which maybe you know a lot of kids probably did um and so that so that could work uh the love thing didn't really as an older person i didn't really feel like i got enough to really see that they were falling in love or whatever mm. uh i did i don't enjoy seeing sad dogs so i'm automatically going to score it lower because <laughs> that's that whole sequence just makes me upset makes me sad um the art in this movie like the other two said is really good really well done mm-hmm. sets the scene perfectly i don't know when this was set in america but we can kind of guesstimate just by how good of a job they did with 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 scene setting indoor and outdoor um and so i think that that was spot on the songs were just okay uh and i thought the soundtrack was even a little bit weaker there are some iconic little melodies like the one you talked about with lady i thought is is a good part but when i hear it it doesn't fill me up with nostalgia like some other movies from this era do as far as soundtrack goes but uh i was back and forth on a six or a seven to be honest uh, I ended up okay. going with the seven, and I think I'm going to stick with that. I think not to be in the middle of YouTube, but just because uh, I don't think it's quite eight quality, uh, but six seems a little harsh for it. So I think I would give it a 6.5, but we're not doing half. So I'm going to go seven. Boom. Woo, woo. Nice. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, David has compiled a list of all our scores thus far. So we will add those into there. And we will keep working our way through. And then one day we'll look back on all these scores and we'll feel bad that we were so harsh on these movies. Yeah. <laughs> we do the final countdown of, of all the Disney movies and realize we made horrible mistakes. Yeah, I can't wait to, like, when we're done and just sort that list and see what's, like, kind of at the top and what's at the bottom. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it kind of reminds me of this one movie I watched one time called Toy Story. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hear it's pretty good. Well, speaking of uh, Toy Story, uh, it's time to f- wrap this up, which Toy Story is yet to been able to figure out how to wrap up because they keep making more of them. <laughs> so with that, thank you for joining us uh, for Movie Bites. We will be back next month. David, what movie are we watching next month? Sleeping Beauty. Boom, boom, boom. I'm looking forward to this one. Mm-hmm. I am too. We'll get back to uh, fairy tales. We haven't been in fairy tales since, I guess, Cinderella, unless you count uh, Peter Pan. But I wouldn't. So, okay. So, uh, yeah, definitely check it out. We'll be back. Uh, we do one episode every month. They get uploaded from time to time. It just depends on on schedules and things. So uh, I'm trying to get better at uploading faster. I've switched to podcasting hosting sites and I think it's working much better. So um, you can also listen to these episodes on our YouTube. I'm going to make a YouTube page for this. I haven't made one yet, but I will. And so if you want to watch our delicious faces, talk about Disney movies, you can find us just go on YouTube and type in uh, movie bites and hopefully you'll find us. So, Jeff, David, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for getting up early to do this. I appreciate it. Yes, excellent work, gentlemen. I had a good time. Yep. 
Always a pleasure. All right. We will see you next time on Movie Bites. Peace.